Excuse him, excuse me. <laughs> you forgot to mention the sketch I am in. <laughs> I, I, I didn't forget, I just didn't think it was important. <laughs> you didn't. Well, it's important, but not that important. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm. I mean, it's not like it was a matter of life and death. You're sure about that? <laughs> Hi-ho, and welcome once again to a feat of lunatic daring. The most sensational, inspirational, celebrational... Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick, what is happening? A lot. (laughs) It's a lot, isn't it? It's... We're recording this on the 24th of June. Less said about that is the better. Yeah, you can go back and figure out what the 24th of June was. But uh, we'll just say it's a shit day. <laughs> I mean, besides that, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, it's Friday. Yeah. As as the father of daughters, today was a today was a rough day. I just see traction, like gained traction, which is a massive and growing problem. But we're not here to talk about that at the moment. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. Um, we're here to talk about the Muppets. This is the Feet of Lunatic Daring. We're a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Before we get started like to ask you to check us out on social media at lunatic daring on facebook instagram and twitter when you're done doom scrolling uh and then lunaticdaring.com where you can find our watch list our bibliography and all of our episodes we are currently going through the muppet show two episodes at a time getting towards the end of season four it's getting close getting your list together slowly but surely i'm gonna have to go back through because we've been doing this over a number of months so i'm sure there are things that i've forgotten yeah, we've been recording a little slower this season. So, yeah, I'm going to have to go back just through one at a time and figure out. I think I know my number one musical bit, but I haven't quite decided yet. We've had a lot of really good ones, though. <laughs> there have been a lot. Mine will probably involve Piggy. But <laughs> Fair. Just because I, I, I don't know yet. I haven't I haven't solidified my list yet. I haven't even really started it yet. But uh, a couple of good ones tonight. Oh, yeah. Tonight. This week is great. Both of these episodes are awesome. So um, let's get started. Let's get started. All right, Nick. So last week we had Superman, Christopher Reeve, last episode. Tonight, we got Linda Carter. We do have Linda Carter. The amazing, you might even say wonderful, Linda Carter. Would you like to hear about Linda Carter? I would like to hear about Linda Carter. Linda Carter. Born July 24th, 1951 in Phoenix, Arizona to Juanita and Colby Carter, she would make her first public television appearance at five years old on Lou King's talent show, which I haven't heard of, but might have been something relatively local. Um, In high school, she joined a band called Just Us. She also started singing at the local pizza parlor around the time she was 15 to make a bit of extra cash. She would join her second band at 16 called The Relatives. She was performing with a couple of her cousins. And they opened at the Sahara Hotel and Casino in Vegas for three months, which I don't know if things are different then, but doing that as a 16-year-old is pretty impressive. Uh, They had to sneak in through the kitchen because she was not old enough to go in through the front since she was under 21. She would attend Arizona State University and drop out to pursue a career in music. She toured with a band called the Garfin Gathering, uh, going through the Nevada Silver Circuit. She left Garfin Gathering. It sounds like I'm talking about the Dark Crystal. She left Garfin Gathering. (laughs) The Gartham Gathering. Yeah. Yeah. In 1972 and returned to Arizona. That same year, she won a local Arizona beauty contest. 
and went on to win Miss World USA 1972, representing Arizona. She would reach the top 15 for international Miss World pageant that same year. I'm surprised because I found her painfully unattractive. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's the first way that I would describe her on all fronts. She took a number of acting classes in New York. She made her first appearance on screen in a in an episode of a series called Nakia, which was a 1974 police drama. We've talked before about actors in the 70s, and I guess before being either television or film actors with a little bit of crossover. I think Linda is someone who was pretty firmly in the TV space, but that's not said with any sort of disparagement. She's had a long and wonderful career. She would also make appearances on shows like Starsky and Hutch and a show called Cause, as well as a number of B-movies. But in 1975, she landed the role that she would become best known for as Diana Prince, a.k.a. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. All the world is waiting for you And the power you possess In your satin tights Fighting for your rights And the old red, white, and blue She was pretty broke at this point, too. She was living out in L.A. She'd blown through her savings. I think she publicly stated that she had $25 in the bank on the day that she got the part. The series lasted from 1975 to 1979, uh, a total of three seasons. She received a lot of questionable fan mail, which reaffirms that this happened way before the Internet. The Internet just makes it worse. And she was gone on record saying that she wasn't comfortably comfortable being sexualized in 1977 she married her former talent agent ron samuels uh they were married until 1982 throughout the 70s she was also active in a lot of advertisement campaigns including things like maybelline cosmetics and diet seven up after wonder woman she had a number of musical tv specials which my my image of television in the 70s is just different celebrities having a special on every week or something she would also play Rita Hayworth in a biopic called Rita Hayworth, The Love Goddess. Um, and throughout the, na- the 80s, she'd have roles in a number of TV movies as well. In 1984, she married attorney Robert Altman, who would later co-found and be CEO for Zenimax Media. More on that in a minute. In the 90s, she appeared in a number of commercials for Lens Express, which would later become Lens Crafters. And I think this is where I'm primarily directly familiar with her, because I remember seeing those commercials. I didn't watch a lot of Wonder Woman as a kid. Um, She also created her own company called Potomac Productions. In 1998, she stopped drinking. She had been a problem drinker for a time and had even visited a rehab center. She never really moved very far away from the Wonder Woman persona, but I don't think she ever really chafed at it either. In the year 2000, she hosted the 1978 episode of BBC Two's I Love the 70s. Uh, She was in one of my forgotten favorite movies, which is probably a guarantee that it's a dumb one, but she played Governor Jessman in Super Troopers in 2001. <laughs> Super Troopers. <laughs> I'm not sure how well it ages. I do remember loving it when it came out when I was, you know, 11. In 2004, she won an award for being the Superest Superhero at the second annual TV Land Awards. She had two big film roles in 2005, one in Dukes of Hazard, one in Sky High. Sky High is a much better film than it has any right to be. 
she had a couple, or Linda Carter had a couple of roles in theater as well. She played Mama Morton in a West End London production of Chicago in 2006. She toured the U.S. with her one-woman musical cabaret show, An Evening with Linda Carter, in 2007. At that same year, she had a guest role on Smallville, which I think Smallville just tried to get as many DC alumni as it could. Um, we mentioned her husband, Robert Altman, earlier, and the company they became CEO of. Linda Carter has done a number of voiceover roles for the Elder Scrolls franchise, which his company is the parent company for. Just, huh. I never would have guessed that either, but not just... So her voice is in Skyrim somewhere? Yeah, she plays, the fe- I think, the female Nords and some of the female orcs. I have to, have to double check that. Yeah. In 2015, she wrote and recorded five original songs for the Fallout 4 soundtrack, in which she also stars. I see you looking round the corner she is still alive. She continues to tour and play music. She is a staunch advocate for breast cancer charities, abortion rights. <laughs> and legal equality for LGBT people. She was the Grand Marshal in the Phoenix and New York Pride Parades in 2011. And she also just generally seems like a really nice lady. The Muppet Show, episode 419, featuring guest star Linda Carter. Produced between January 29th and January 31st, 1980. It would premiere in the UK on February 22nd of the same year, and a week earlier in the States on February 14th, Valentine's Day. We get our cold open which made me feel nostalgic in three different ways. But Scooter comes in and gets ready to let Linda know that it's almost time, but Linda cuts him off and effectively shows him the script. I'm not reading your mind. I'm reading my script. Huh? What? Oh, no, no. Kermit wouldn't allow a script on this show. Everything we say on here is ad lib. This hit me three ways. One, obviously, we've got the Muppet movie reference. Two, just a general reality warp thing. And three... I don't know if I've brought this up on the podcast before, but I am a repository of bad movies. Chad, did you ever see Surf Ninjas? I've seen Surf Ninjas. Do you remember that there was a massive plot point about the kids' Sega Game Gear being able to predict what was about to happen and put on cheat codes? When I say I've seen Surf Ninjas, it doesn't mean (laughs) I remember Surf Ninjas. That's fair. Anyway, scripts hold a lot of power in the Muppet universe, and that's potentially terrifying. Yeah, we've seen this bit before, right? With Scooter and a guest before where they were reading from the script. Uh, she calls him Scoots in this. How do you what do you like how do you like Scoots for a nickname? I mean, he's argue he's like this the silver or bronze metal sociopath on the show, so I guess it's good to be like friendly with him. She's very, very at ease and very comfortable with Muppets, which shouldn't be saying anything at this point because it's the fourth season and everyone kind of knows what they're in for. But she's just really warm throughout the episode with everyone. We get to the Muppet Show theme and Gonzo experiences a bit of body horror. Yeah, he does. You want to talk about my nightmare? You want to talk about nightmare fuel for me? Gonzo's teeth teeth just come out with his trumpet? He is blowing very hard. Gross. Uh, (laughs) The embarrassment. We get on stage with Kermit giving his general introduction, but Miss Piggy interrupts him to mention the sketch that she'll be appearing in later. Kermit, in his eternal Kermitness, lets her know that he didn't forget. He just didn't feel it was of life and death importance. And Miss Piggy feels the need to insist. As only she can. As only she can. She she chops right to the point. 
So Kermit announces the upcoming Wonder Pig sketch. And Miss Piggy finishes it with what is probably one of her coldest lines yet. Ladies and gentlemen, later on in the show, our own Miss Piggy here will be portraying a brand new character, Wonder Pig. <laughs> Wonder Pig. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, you're welcome. Isn't it great to be alive? Isn't it great to be alive? <laughs> it's pretty cold. Like, she doesn't do subtlety very often, but if there's ever been a veiled threat, that is a veiled threat. Yeah, so later in the episode, Piggy is going to show up. This is, according to my girls, this is the Wonder Pig episode. Fair. Then we go once again to the Legends of the Hidden Temple. Not the Legends of the Hidden Temple, but our first opening number number features a group of idol-worshipping pigs, or you might even call them Pig Pagans, because I'm sure that pun was in there somewhere. Pagans, yeah. Uh, Pagans, was it? No, it was Porkins. Porkins was the, the X-Wing pilot. Yes, Porkins. Jack Porkins, yes. So a group of idol-worshipping pigs get ready to sacrifice Janice in a temple that is definitely not an influence on the Temple of Doom. As uh, Kermit says, a good old-fashioned human sacrifice. That's how he introduces it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pig roast. And the pigs are all in awe as the idol, which is definitely something from Tales from the Dark Side, starts to come to life. And Janice starts singing A Little Help from My Friends, which... What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song. Can I try not to sing out of key? I get high with a little help from my friends. I get high with a little help from my friends. Gonna try with a little help from my friends. Somebody to love. It's the 1976s. Uh, uh, it's 1967's Beatles classic, A Little Help from My Friends, as the electric mayhem comes in to rescue her. And I want a full movie of the electric mayhem needing to rescue Janice from pig pigs. From pagan pigs. From pagan pigs. I would, uh, SNL yeah. had so many spin off movies. We had Hey, It's Pat. We had A Night at the Roxbury. We had The Ladies' Man. We had <laughs> Superstar. Can I get the electric mayhem rescuing Janice from Pagan Pigs? Kind of a romancing the stone Indiana Jones type movie. Absolutely. You can even throw Michael Douglas in there. I don't care. Yeah, this was awesome. I loved this bit. The 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 uh, the idol plays a saxophone, uh-huh. which I thought was funny. The idol um, is one of the best parts of it, too. And it's just a cute use of the song. Mm-hmm. Like you get into it and it's really dark and like my kids were kind of freaked out by it. It never goes full dark though. No, but it does start off with the idea of a human sacrifice. True. And then when she starts singing and she starts singing a little help for my friends and I had forgotten about this. um, uh, It just killed me. It just killed me Um, to hear again, more Beatles. We're going to hear, we're going to hear more Beatles later tonight. Yeah, this is a great, great number. Um, really kind of moody and freaky. Definitely a solid one. She gets high with a little help from her friends. And that friend is Zoot. I think that friend is the entire mayhem. It's possible. We've already established that Floyd probably has a little smack problem. Oh, I'm sure. Zoot just seems like he's stoned all the time. Or maybe on a Quaaludes. It's the 70s. It's probably Ludes. Yeah. Um, we go backstage and... Scooter is excited to announce the arrival of his correspondence course. 
which is the 70s version of Skillshare, who could also sponsor us. Uh, <laughs> but it's a correspondence course called How to Be a Superhero. Now, all of the, the costumes that we're going to see for our superheroes make it look like they're actually trying to be stage magicians. More on that in a second. It comes on. It comes with a helmet, a cape, and a red shirt, and an instruction manual called Invincibility Made Easy. Don't see how that can go wrong. Not at all. Nope. No. Scooter also lets us know that it's a good thing Linda Carter won't be playing Wonder Woman on the show because there already there will already be plenty of superheroes going around. And then Fozzie's already in chat or in costume and reading chapter two of the instruction manual. And I just put Fozzie Strange as as a note. He wouldn't be my first Muppet to cast as Doctor Strange. No, but his outfit's amazing. Oh yeah, with a tiny dunce cap. Yeah, no, that that's our backstage story, right? Is everybody wants to be a superhero. Pretty much. You know? I'm guessing after Christopher Reeve, now they got Linda Carter. Back to back was too much for them to resist. Yeah, now they're in a superhero mode. We go to Linda's dressing room where we get to see a little bit more Sam. We haven't seen a lot of Sam the Eagle this season. But she asks Sam if human sacrifice is the norm on The Muppet Show. Well, is that kind of thing going to be going on throughout this entire show? Oh, Miss Carter, I'm afraid so. <laughs> Good, because I loved it. Alindo, your number is next. Thanks, Kermit. Congratulations. For what? You are the next human to be sacrificed. If Sam was born any time between 1985 and 2002, you know that Sam would be an incel, right? Yes. Instead, he's just a crazy old man that hangs out backstage in The Muppet Show. It's true. Uh, But arguably less racist than the two up on the balcony. But we get our first number with Linda, where she sings The Rubber Band Man, accompanied by The Rubber Band Men. Hand me down my walking cane, hand me down my hat. Hurry now and don't be late, cause we ain't got time to chat. You and me, we're going out to catch the latest sound. Guaranteed to blow your mind so high you won't go. So 1976 written by Thomas Bell and Lena Epstein, its most famous version, or at least what I understand to be its most famous version is from the spinners, but she did a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Listening to your bio was interesting to me. I had no idea she could sing. I didn't either. I didn't. I usually don't look into the bios until I watch the episode just so it doesn't color anything. But this was one of the things that cemented, I think... I think that she would have done very well as a femme fatale. And I don't, I haven't seen a lot of her catalog. Maybe there are movies in which she did play that, but she can do the Chanteuse thing. She's very affable. She's very good at feeling comfortable and close with people, but she's also, I mean, she's done the action star thing. She can be a viable threat as well. She's also rocking that skinny ass seventies microphone. That too. Um, (laughs) Just every time I see it, but she like, it's just, it's a good number. It's a good rendition of the song. She's having fun with it. She tells Kermit she doesn't need a band, right? Because she brought her own. Mm-hmm. And she's backed up by these men, these guys made of rubber bands that are, are back, that are her backing band. Yes, They play themselves, I guess, is how you would describe it. There's a joke I'm not going to make, but yes. Yeah. Um, Played yourself. Um, <laughs> sounds like a line from The Wire. Uh, yeah, no, really, really good number. And I was just surprised she could sing. <laughs> I think that was her, her primary thing for a long time. And then she Yeah, was- that's what it sounded like from your bio. And uh, I had no idea that I just knew her as Wonder Woman. So 
I knew her as Wonder Woman and I knew her as a good follow on Twitter. I believe that. The song, like, I can take or leave. Oh, I've always loved the song. Oh, have you? Yeah. It, I don't know. That's that's one of those things too where if someone had messed it up, it probably would have irked me more, but she did she did a good job. We go backstage to visit the apprentice superheroes again. Which the thing is this is a straightforward thing, but the setup is clean. Yep. It did a good job. Scooter's trying to learn how to vanish. Gonzo practices saying Shazam. And <laughs> which that's uh, more more DC going on there. Uh, Link is reading about how to bend iron bars, <laughs> which just another euphemism for Link, but he's not wearing a neckerchief this time, so we'll take it easy. Uh, Fozzie is trying to break open a door with his no, flying no, Fozzie, Fozzie's trying to fly. He is trying to. He successfully breaks open a door, which in turn helps Lou Zealand out because he's trying to see through the door. Yeah, Lou is standing. Lou's got his manual and he's standing there at the door and he's like, how to look through a door, how to use x-ray vision. Pick a closed door. Yeah. Uh, stare at it for several seconds and suddenly the door will seem to vanish and you'll see inside the room. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, Fozzie comes swinging in like Tarzan or just comes. Well, how does Fozzie make himself fly? Climbs up into the rafters, I guess, and swings. I think he's landing with style. I think, uh, yeah, Fozzie's Fozzie's a full on projectile. So maybe he pissed off Piggy and she threw him. But everyone's got their costumes. Uh, Scooter looks a little like Elton John. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. It's actually kind of like his costume he wore when Elton John was on the show. Probably reused. It probably is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, everybody's got their superhero costumes. Everybody's trying to figure out what their abilities are and trying to learn. They've all, they're all taking the same correspondence course. It's a lot of fun. Rizzo's back there too. I don't know what he's doing, but he's there. Rizzo hasn't been formally introduced yet though, has he? No, not really, but it's Rizzo. Uh, We get our Muppet News Flash, which I, I guess is a one and a half parter. The newsman kind of did it to himself this time. Usually I just feel bad for him. He kind of feels like he's collateral. Dateline Egypt. Archaeologists today discovered an ancient tomb more than 5,000 years old in the Nile Valley. An inscription over the tomb warned that the crocodile god Rizal Evad Gib, that's Rizal Evad Gib, <laughs> would wreak a terrible vengeance on anyone who entered the tomb or even pronounced his name aloud. That's a ridiculous story. I don't know. Uh, at which point he's eaten by a huge crocodile. He made choices on this one. He knew not to say it. He did. He was warned. He's, go, but he, but he's a skeptic. I guess. I don't know. I feel like he's been hitting that with a bowling ball enough for us to just blame it on a concussion. I think with everything he's seen, he should no longer be a skeptic, but he is a skeptic. So he doesn't believe that he thinks it's the dumbest thing ever that if you say Rizal Evad Gib that you will be eaten by a crocodile. But it ha- it, it happens. It's the missing BG. <laughs> Rizal Evad Gib is the missing BG. That's terrible. Barry's older brother. I love it. We go back to Linda's dressing room where Beauregard tries to warn Linda not to say the word. But because it's Beauregard, he can't remember what the word is. Oh, wonder, Linda, I have to warn you about something. No, no time for the nicey-nicies. Something terrible just happened to the newsman downstairs. You're kidding, what? Well, they sent me up here to, to tell you not to say this very dangerous word. Oh, okay, what's the word? Well, it's, uh... Oh, no, I forgot it. 
But whatever you do, don't say it. It's right on the tip of his tongue, which, you know, puns being puns, she looks at the tip of his tongue and starts to read the name out loud. And Beauregard is trying his best to protect Linda, but his best is not necessarily going to be that great because Beauregard. Yes. They're interrupted by the newsman who didn't learn his lesson the first time. Wait, wait, hold still. I bet you thought they were going to say Rizal Even. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, after what I went through, I didn't Well, he comes in and he's like, I bet you thought she was going to say it. <laughs> I bet you thought she was going to say Rizal Ebad Gib. And then he gets eaten by a crocodile again. My favorite part of this, though, is when she says, Beauregard, come on, what is it? What What is the phrase? You got to think. And he's like, think? She's like, think. And he's like, think, think. That's hard. Think, think, think. <laughs> it's just the one thing you don't want to ask him to do. It's one of a few things you don't want to ask him to do, but yeah. On stage, Floyd sings While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which, great song. It's a somber number. It's another Beatles track from the White Album. I look at you all. See the love there that's sleeping While my guitar gently weeps I look at the floor And I see it needs sweeping While my guitar gently weeps There's not a lot to say about it, but it's There's good. literally nothing to say about it. Like... He did a good job. It is a good bit. I yeah. enjoyed his rendition of it. I will put it in right here. But yeah, it doesn't. Um, there's not much to say about it. He just sits on a. He sits on what looks to be like a fire. It's like a city city street or like mm. a. He's sitting on like a fire escape. Right? Basically, yeah. Um, and there's some apartment buildings, and there's some shadow play going on of people that are inside the buildings that we see. But that's about it. There's not much to it <laughs> at all. Not, not to say, like you said, not to say it wasn't enjoyable because it's a great song, but um, and it, but it's a solid sketch. Or I, I don't even know if it's it's a solid musical number, but it's yeah. just it's just staged so straightforward. Yeah, that, that's just what it is. It's a solid musical number. Um, we get our UK spot because Sam has been relegated to the sidelines, and he has made a list of disgusting items that have appeared on the Muppet Show, which he is censoring. Yeah, he doesn't know what the word censor means, I don't think, by the way. I feel like there are a lot of things he doesn't know the meanings of, but he has very strong feelings of. Um, he dislikes all the rats, to, at which point Kermit lets him know, which, to be fair, a lot of rats in a space, especially if food's being served, isn't not an issue. But yeah, Kermit defends the rats, saying they do a lot of useful things, like taking out the trash, at which point the cats take their cue and carry Sam outside. <laughs> I like he's holding the clipboard and the rats come to take him outside and Kermit's like, hey, bring back the clipboard. <laughs> All I wrote down is this is Sam is sick. He is not well. This is just more of Sam's. Uh, Sam doesn't have a real job. Or friends. He, does, he doesn't work there. But uh, yeah, this is funny. We we get our, I guess, our headliner sketch for the night. If Miss Piggy or if we don't want Miss Piggy to cause us any harm. Where Miss Piggy stars as Wonder Pig in a scene of sheer terror. Miss Piggy and her husband Link have returned home to find Annie Sue in a trance-like state, uttering chicken sounds. Doctor yeah. Strange Pork shows up in a rare non-Pigs in Space sketch and says that it seems like she was frightened by a chicken. At which point we see an actual rooster in the background 
That Gigantic. is huge. Like it's full on. Uh, what was that movie called? Night of the Night of the Limits or Night of the Lepus? The one with the giant rabbits. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know that one. It's a gigantic chicken. Massive. It's a real chicken too. It's a real chicken. It's not a. Mm-hmm. It's not a, rooster, a Muppet chicken. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a, not a Muppet rooster. But when Strange Pork sees it, or sorry, when Link sees it, he starts clucking too. And then Strange Pork follows suit shortly thereafter. When Miss Piggy finally discovers what happens, which I don't know if this is something that would be in any way typical of an old Wonder Woman episode, but she just dis- she determines that it's a job for Wonder Pig, which sounds a lot like the Super After Scout. She says, "Holy guacamole!" <laughs> Yeah, she's not affected by the by the chicken. No. She doesn't she doesn't get cluckitis from it. Also, Miss Piggy looks straight at the camera and says, Eat your heart out, Linda Carter, which I'm sure for Oz was just loving when he said that. But also, is Wonder Pig a kaiju? Like, is she actually Ultra Pig? Because she grew four sizes yeah, to fight that chicken. I've always I, I've always found this Wonder Pig thing. My girls love it. I've always found it to be very anticlimactic. It doesn't really go anywhere. It ends in the it ends with her growing like large scale to be on the same scale as the chicken. And I guess that's supposed to scare away the chicken. It's kind of like how animal gets large in the Muppet movie and breaks through the ceiling of that building. That was more satisfying though. Yeah. This, this isn't very satisfying. It just kind of like I wanted more of wonder pig. I wanted to see wonder pig in action and they don't give us that. They only give us this little moment of her busting her head up through the top of the building. It's, it's weird. It's like they said, they set it all up for wonder pig and then they don't really pay it off. The setup also seems more appropriate for the Wizard of Oz than it does Wonder Woman. See, I think the setup's funny. I just, once it gets to Wonder Pig, I'm like, I just, I want more. I'm, I'm like, I want this to be a, and, and you know, it's never going to come back, but like, I want it to be a character. I want it to mm. be a, a, a shtick and, and it's not really, it's just like a one, one little joke and they're out. We can't not have her on the show and, or we can't have her on the show and not do a Wonder Pig thing. Yeah. I just wish they had figured out a little bit more to do with it. That's all. Mm-hmm. Backstage, Linda compliments Miss Piggy's outfit, and Miss Piggy asks if she's upset that she forgot to bring hers, and Linda just says no. I absolutely understand, especially given how uncomfortable she was with how people were sexualizing her. Christopher Reeve did the same thing too, right? He didn't wear his costume. I wonder if that was like a rights thing. Probably not. We go to, I'm sure we've seen the set before, but maybe we haven't seen it since like the Julie Andrews episode. Um, But we're out in a field, it's a quiet day in a pasture, and there are a bunch of sheep that are just grazing and singing a song called the Whiff and Puff Song, which is a song from 1909. It's a signature tune of the Yale Glee Club, which I would know because I attended Yale. I did not attend Yale. But we've got a wolf in sheep's clothing, and they ask the question, who will rescue them? And it looks like it's a job for Super Sheep. Now, here's the thing about Super Sheep. Super Sheep just caps the guy. A. B. It is Anton LaVey sheep. That sheep is dressed up like a Satanist. C. (laughs) Anton LaVey. Before we go into the sketch, they introduce. Sure, sure he's not Alistair Crowley. Uh, Crowley would be in a deeper purple. He was sig- weirdly more flamboyant. But also, another thing that's vaguely uncomfortable is they open the sketch by saying, "This is one for the sheep fanciers." Okay, well, that last sketch must have pleased you poultry lovers. So here's something for the sheep fanciers. Which I can't yeah. imagine meant something different in the seventies that it means today. There are about four jokes that I'm not going to make. No. They're all inappropriate. <laughs> yep. We go backstage again where the super goof. But yeah, but, uh, but, but oh, real sorry. quick though, okay. but super sheep just shoots him. It looks like a laser gun, but it makes a sound like a shotgun or like a handgun. And uh, yeah, I just, all of a sudden he just 
just shoots the dude. <laughs> it's like, that's not Superman doesn't shoot people. It's the power of guns. Again, welcome to America. Yeah. Going to bite back on some of that commentary too. Yeah. Uh, so we go backstage again where the go- super goofs have finally made it to chapter 10, how to fly. <laughs> because this is a stage production, we'll say that they're defying gravity. I say this is someone that doesn't love musicals, but anyone can fly as long as they believe they can. Clap your hands if you believe. The next step is to stand at the top of a very tall ladder and say to yourself, I was born to fly. I was born to fly. The air is my home. The air is my home. Now that you believe that, step off the ladder and float to the ceiling. Fortunately, superheroes never feel pain. Now, as a small child, I was definitely one of those kids that thought that if I flapped my arms fast enough, I would be able to lift off the ground. Mm, You were one of those dummy kids. I learned. (laughs) At least I did try it from the roof. Yeah. But this doesn't work. If that needs to be stated, uh, our superheroes do not float to the ceiling. They it works comedically. It does work comedically. <laughs> you might call it flying in reverse. Fortunately, superheroes never feel pain. Link a slug scooter in the face when they get to the bottom too. They get to the bottom link gets up and scooters like, fortunately, superheroes don't feel pain. And link just clocks him in the nose for it. <laughs> well, scooters, the only one that didn't try to fly. I think he's smarter than that. <laughs> He just wants to watch the other people fly, like that kid from Game of Thrones. We get our closing number, which features Linda singing a song called Orange Colored Sky with Scooter, Fozzie, New Zealand, Link, Rizzo, and Gonzo. Tons of things explode. I don't think we got to see Harry. Nope, no Harry. But it's just a bunch of random stuff falling over. This one weirdly reminded me of the Madeline Kahn episode. Okay. Uh, I can't fully articulate why it just it was an impression that i got uh orange colored sky is a 1945 song written by milton delug and william stein my six-year-old loves this it's a it's a solid closer she asked when we were watching it because we've seen this episode before and we were watching it she goes where's the stuff with all the superheroes and the explosions you've raised her well we're getting there we're getting there and uh yeah because they're all in their costumes and Mm. um uh whenever she says uh What's, what's the chorus? Zing, bam, alakazam, or whatever. Something like that, yeah. Something like that, and then you get an explosion. And they're, they're basically, basically looks like, uh, it, it, it honestly, it looks like the set of Man of Steel. Yep. Um, <laughs> where they've torn all the buildings down and everything. It looks like they're in a very, uh, it already looks like they're in a rundown neighborhood when it starts. And then they just kind of make it more rundown by blowing it up. Apparently it was set in the Eastern Bloc. It does look like it's set in the Eastern Bloc, or modern day Detroit. Yeah. yeah, my six-year-old was, she's over the moon for this one. She absolutely loves this one. She's, it's she fun. She loves the explosions. She loves the song. Linda just seems like she's having fun anytime she's on screen this episode. There's no... Yeah, and she sounds great. She sounds fantastic. Yeah. We get to our clothes, and Linda tells Kermit that they made it through with flying colors, at which point Scooter... I think that we came through this with flying colors, don't you? Oh, more than that, we got through it with flying Muppets. <laughs> After the credits, we get Statler... And his super identity or his superhero identity, which is Money Man, which looks like a WWE wrestler. It looks like a costume from Orgasmo, which just makes the Money Man thing more upsetting. <laughs> it does look like a costume from Orgasmo. <laughs> oh, you're right. I'm looking at it. His chin already kind of looks like a ball sack. It's just uh, it, was, it does look like it does look like from something from, from Orgasmo. <laughs> Linda Carter was a great guest star. <laughs> He's yeah, yeah. When's the Trey Parker episode coming up? 
Um, oh, that would be fun. Yeah, he's got this uh, dollar sign on his chest and his little ma- his little mask and his cape and stuff. But uh, yeah, he doesn't <laughs> money man. I don't even know that they have, have they established that Statler's greedy or anything like that. That's not established or anything. They just decided it'd be funny to make him money, man. Both he and Waldorf have this sort of erudite upper class aspect to them. I guess you like this one. I did like this one. She's really great. I kind of want to track down some of her B movies and like old TV movies just to see what she was doing when she wasn't Wonder Woman. Yeah, no, she's, she's fantastic. She's really, uh, wonderful. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but there you go. She's wonderful. I just got it out of the way when we started. Oh, Alan, Alan Arkin, 28 seconds are curtain, Mr. Arkin. Thank you, Scooter. Now, you had to have heard of Alan Arkin before, right? Yes, although I'd never seen him young, and I didn't realize how much he resembled Dustin Hoffman. Actor, director, singer, and writer Alan Wolf Arkin. That's a hell of a middle name. Wolf. It is. Was born March 26, 1934 in Brooklyn, New York. His father was a painter and a writer, and his mother was a teacher, both of them Jewish immigrants from Eastern Europe. Uh, the family moved to L.A. when uh, Alan was 11, where in the 1950s, his parents would be accused of being communists. His dad refused to answer questions on the subject. And his father lost his job as a set designer and was basically blacklisted for being for being a red. Uh, Alan began taking acting lessons when he was 10 and attended Los Angeles State College for f- a few years in the 50s. Um, he was an early member of the Second City Comedy Group also in the, in the early 60s. But in the 50s, um, before he really got his acting career going, he was in a folk group called the Terriers, who scored a hit in 1956 with their version of the Banana Boat song. reached number four on Billboard the same year that Harry Belafonte's version came out. Uh, and according to Wikipedia, I don't, I don't, I, I have to say that because I'm not so sure about this, what this means, but the group appeared in a 1957 Calypso exploitation film. <laughs> and I had no idea that was a thing called Calypso heat wave. <laughs> so as a band, they showed up in this song, this movie called Calypso heat wave. Tenacious D was in biodome. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, and oh god, Fishbone was in Back to the Beach. The Offspring was also in Idle Hands. This does happen. The Deftones were in the Second Crow movie. It, it happens. So they were in, but Calypso Exploitation. I have to look this up and figure out what a Calypso Exploitation film is. His first real movie role was in the 1966 comedy The Russians Are Coming. The Russians Are Coming, which earned him an Oscar nomination. One of only six actors to be nominated for Best Actor their first time out of the gate. Two years later, he was nominated again for the screen adaptation of The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. He took over the role of Inspector Clouseau in the 1968 Pink Panther film Inspector Clouseau, but it was not received well following in Peter Sellers' very difficult shoes. Um, I'm just going to list a bunch of movies he's been in because he's basically just because that's what he does. He's an actor and he's been acting for like 60 years. Cash 22, The 7% Solution, The In-Laws, Glengarry Glenn Ross, very famous in that. Argo, Edward Scissorhands, The Rocketeer, Mother Night, Gattaca, Marley and Me, the 2011 Muppet film, Gross Point Blank, and Little Miss Sunshine, which in 2006 won him the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Who was he in Gross Point Blank? Oh, wait, he was the therapist, wasn't he? Yep. 
Oh, he was great. He's done some directing. Uh, his first film was a 12-minute children's film called People Soup, which was nominated for an Oscar. His b- biggest directorial effort, at least on screen, he also directed for the stage, but his biggest directorial effort was the black comedy Little Murders, which came out in 1971, starring Elliot Gould and Marsha Rod. It's an odd film, but very dark and very funny. Uh, Alan's written several books, some for children, some for actors, and two memoirs. He's been married three times and has three children, including his oldest son, Chicago Hope actor Adam Arkin. Alan is presently 88 years old. Gestapo tactics. It's always been the line from Glenn, his line from Glengarry Glenn Ross, I always remember. Gestapo tactics. Muppet Show episode 420. Special guest star Alan Arkin, February, produced in February 1980, came out in March. This episode has a cultural content warning, Nick. Do you know why? I, I, I believe I could guess, yes. We get our cold open. Scooter comes in to get Alan and ask him if he ever got that milkshake he was looking for. And he says, ah, no, but the chef's working on it. And we cut to the chef um, having his way with a cow. So I just want to come out here and say, before we say anything disparaging about the chef, the Swedish chef is dedicated. He will shake that cow for that milkshake. He doesn't care how many boys are in the yard. And he will not drink your milkshake either. <laughs> That's <laughs> to, not to, the- to, to sandwich in one more pop culture reference. So, yeah, he's, he's shaking a cow to make a milkshake, which uh, I don't think will work. If it does work, let me know, because I love a good milkshake. I don't think I would trust that milkshake. I'm going to be real honest. It might be a little curdy. We have our Muppet Show theme. At the end of it, Gonzo's trumpet makes sounds like a typewriter. Not really sure what that's all about. I just wanted him to segue into playing money. So we have our opening number. Kermit comes out and introduces our opening number. And uh, I'm surprised it took him this long to get to the devil went down to Georgia. That was my exact note. Well, the devil went down to Georgia. He's looking for a soul to steal. He's in a bind because he's way behind and willing to make a deal. When it come across this young man sawing on a fiddle and playing it hot, the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and says, Boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'll dare to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I better fiddle the gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. It's everything that we expect it to be. It it was fun. It was just the side of nightmare fuel. It made me weirdly nostalgic because of one of the episodes of The Storyteller that we'll get to at a later date. It was fun. This this number is exactly what it needs to be. Yeah, we've got a character named Johnny, a red-headed whatnot named Johnny, and uh, what looks to be you know, a large chunk of the jug huggers. I'll tell you my name's Johnny, and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet you're going to regret because I'm the best it's ever been. Johnny, rosin up your bow and play your fiddle hard. Um, singing the Charlie Daniels band classic, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. The main singer is a, is an old man puppet that is uh, run played by Jim, who does the uh, the who's I guess in the song the narrator, right? Yeah, the Charlie Daniels. Basically, yeah, basically playing Charlie Daniels. And then you have a a a full bot. Not a it's not full body. It's not a walk around puppet, but it's a full body devil puppet. Mm-hmm. Is it a marionette? See no. from head to toe. No, I don't think so. I think he's he's like a. I think there's somebody behind him. Hmm. There wearing black. The devil opened up his case and said, "I'll start this show." And fire flew from his fingertips as he rosined up his bow. Then he pulled the bow across the strings and it made an evil hit. Then a band of demons joined in. It sounded something like this. It gets a little trippy during the devil's solo. It's it very 70s mm-hmm. for a minute there when the devil takes his solo. Um, do you think that uh, Johnny's solo is better than the devil's solo, though? Does he really win? Yeah. Uh, I, I think the devil's got more going on visually, but... And this is not the last time we'll see the devil this week. No, not even 
within the next 15 minutes. He's got a whole other number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, awesome opener. The devil bowed his head because he knew that he'd been beat. And he laid that golden fiddle on the ground at Johnny's feet. And Johnny says, devil, just come on back if you ever want to try again. Because I told you once, you son of a gun, I'm the best it's ever been. Fire on the mountain, run, boys, run. Um, the devil comes off stage and Kermit tells him he did a good job, which he or tells him he was good. And the devil's not having that. Um, then Kermit is accosted by a large group of bunny rabbits. I don't know what your opinion on bunny rabbits. I don't have an opinion on rabbits, but there are stories. <laughs> but uh, uh, but these are the Bun Bun brothers and they they would they want to do a number. And Kermit's like, no, I can't put you guys on. First of all, Kermit has no idea who they are. Again, security at this place. Terrible. It's probably Sam. And so they want to do, they want to do a number. Now these are, do you know Bean Bunny? The character of Bean Bunny? Sounds familiar. He's a later Muppet that we'll mm-hmm. get to meet, the played by Steve Whitmire. This is kind of a proto version of Bean Bunny. They're just a group of bunnies. They're cute. And the Muppets don't really do cute, but they're cute and they would like to do a number. And Kermit's like, we can't do that. We have dancing carrots. I think it's like the carrot from the Gilder Adner episode. Yeah, exactly. We have a dancing carrot act coming out and they'd be very offended. So the Bun Bun brothers are out. But then Bunsen. <laughs> oh, Bunsen. Whenever Bunsen is part of the, the runner for the episode, you know, it's going to be a good time. So Bunsen and Beaker. Bunsen has come. He's got a glass of um, sodium bicarbonate because apparently Alan has complained that he's having some heartburn. And Beaker comes in and says, I'm paraphrasing Beaker. <laughs> Beaker says, no, dude, that's the ultra power Jekyll Hyde potion. I have the sodium bicarbonate and they get into a little, there's a little uh, princess bride <laughs> uh, swapping of the cups between the two. And uh, eventually Bunsen picks one, one of the glasses and says, oh, I'm going to take this to Alan. Bunsen has created this potion that turns someone into Dr. Jekyll. And I, I guess it doesn't turn you into Dr. Jekyll. It turns you into Mr. Hyde. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it also apparently turns you into Lon Chaney. It, he looks like the wolf man when it hits. But so then Bunsen and Beaker go to Alan's room to give him the uh, drink for his heartburn. Alan mistakes Beaker for a woman and Beaker gets very like too upset about it. He, he just seemed very, very offended by it. But which I was like, come anytime down. that happens, Bunsen also gets weirdly possessive. So he brings the potion. So Alan drinks the potion thinking it's the bicarbonate. And then he turns into a monster. He turns into Mr. Hyde. Now his Mr. Hyde is basically just he gets giant. And I mean, giant like Eugene Levy would be jealous eyebrows. And then two giant fangs. And that's that's their version of Mr. Hyde. But can we talk about that placid expression that he's got while he's tearing the room apart? Because his face, he's not like he emotes a couple of times. There's a point at which he looks directly at the camera. But mostly it's just like this stone face as he's going around smashing stuff all over the dressing room. Oh, yeah. He just totally smashes his dressing room like, oh, shit, I have to find a different. I have to find a different celebrity than Johnny Depp to use for these metaphors now. <laughs> I mean, you could always he go with, uh, his hotel room like Russell Crowe in his younger days. How about that? Because um, <laughs> Johnny Depp's the go-to for, for messing up a hotel room. and It's been a long year for that entire... The saga. IP. Yeah. yeah I, don't, uh, I don't know. But, uh, but, you know, and I love Johnny, but... Or did, but fuck him. But uh, so, yeah, he turns into Mr. Hyde and he proceeds to trash the room as a monster. And Scooter 
runs out. Kermit's about to introduce Alan for the opening number and Scooter comes out and is like, he, 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 he can't do it. And he's like, what do you mean he can't do it? It's time for the opening number. He's like, he can't do it, boss. And he's like, no, I'm going to introduce him. And then you hear Alan off stage screaming and yelling like a monster. And Kermit does what uh, he has to do, which is he introduces the Bun Bun Brothers. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Just let me finish the introduction. Ladies and gentlemen. What was that? Alan Arkin. Uh, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the fabulously talented the Bun Bun Brothers. My oh my, what a wonderful day Plenty of sunshine head my way So we mentioned a or a uh, cultural content warning. Yes. From uh so we're or sorry, I'll, I'll let you introduce the number, but yeah. So so in a in a tranquil, you know, serene. Those words mean the same thing. Um, you might a, even call it idyllic. Maybe uh, <laughs> something straight out of God maybe, of the maybe Wind peaceful. or Antebellum. Um, um, I don't. Th- that's the thing, though. I don't think it is. It's just a field with these rabbits in it and a rainbow, and they sing a song called Zippity Doodah. Zippity Doodah is the reason for the cultural content warning. Zippity Doodah, of course, is from the 1946, not on Disney Plus, um, film Song of the South. It's uh, notoriously, have you ever seen it? Uh, yeah. Uh, I've got, so I've, there's a rant that I can go on and part of me wants to just let you edit it out and just see if there's anything salvageable. <laughs> right. Song of the South and Zippity Doodah, as I pull out my soapbox, Song of the South is a problem. Song of the South is based on a collection of fables, animal fables, collected by a man named Joel Chandler Harris from slaves. This is where we get the Br'er Rabbit character and Br'er Fox, and there's a whole hour-long lecture I could give on this. But important things to keep in mind. Song of the South was based on this collection. There's another movie produced by Rolf Bakshi, called Coonskin, which is also based on the same characters in the same collection. Coonskin, keep in mind, Rolf Bakshi was a white guy. Coonskin is a racial epithet for black people. And somehow Coonskin is a less racist movie than Song of the South. Because... (laughs) Song Song of the South's pretty rough. This isn't even counting the fact that the male lead actor wasn't allowed into the theater to see the premiere because of segregation. The central (laughs) thesis... I forgot about ...of Song of the South is that it was nicer for black people during slavery. This is probably why Uncle Ruckus as a character is named Uncle Ruckus, because in part he's based on Uncle Remus. There's, whereas Coonskin is biting satire about racial inequities in the 1970s. Uh, It's not a perfect film, but it's kind of a more honest one, which is why it brings us back to The Muppet Show, back to Alan Arkin as Mr. Hyde, and also apparently the only actual superhero of the night because he is the hammer of racial justice as he goes after all of these bunny rabbits. <laughs> as he just wrecks the bunny <laughs> rabbits with a baseball bat. I was so ready to just be like, oh, come on, guys. Why did you pick this song? I did not expect there's a good chance that this makes one of my favorite lists for this season. And if you would have told me last year that a zippity doodah sketch would have made <laughs> one of my favorite lists for this season, I would have looked at you and told you you're stupid. Right. I'm sorry to hijack this description, but no, like I said earlier, no, 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 of course. Like I said earlier, the Muppets don't usually do cute. In fact, they usually tend to hate cute. 
So this is this is also Alan Arkin just destroying cute. Yes, that's that film has not been legally seen in, in quite some time. And uh, Disney has rightfully locked it in the vault, never to be never to see the light of day again. Zippity Doodah, I would say, is probably the least offensive aspect of that movie. Uh, arguably. Like the song um, itself? Like what's wrong with the song itself? It's, I, I think I have a hard time extricating it from the rest of the context because it's like yeah. your main introduction to Uncle Remus and how he's having a wonderful day under these circumstances and thinking about how much better things were and things like that. Right. So I I don't know. Because like, detached it, from the movie. It's still, it's rough. There was a, a Disney compilation that came out probably a while ago now, but Miley Cyrus covered it for like this collection CD and it just felt weird and wrong. I know about Song of the South. I know this song is from Song of the South. I've I've still like, I guess in my head, I've managed to divest the two. Yeah. And just, this is just a Disney song. It is one of their standards. But, uh, but no, I get it. If you have the association, it definitely, it, it definitely is. And, and again, it is why the cultural content warning is on here is because it's a song from Song of the South and Disney is very aware that Song of the South is not okay. Can we also spend a little bit of attention on the fact that Statler and Waldorf legit deny any sort of sanctuary to the bunny that creeps up to their box? Just, <laughs> can I just hide here? They li- they literally throw it out there and say that Alan Arkin missed one. Yeah, they give him down with it. <laughs> like you said, the Muppets hate cute, man. They don't they don't do cute. Oh man, I loved this sketch way more than I had any right to. <laughs> so after the number, Alan comes off, and Kermit's got a bunch of pigs. Like who are in safari hats <laughs> and they're getting ready to trap the wild doctor, the wild Mr. Hyde that's coming off stage with some rope and they throw this rope over him and they grab him. And then Alan ducks down. He rips off his, uh, he, he off screen. we see where you can't see him. He takes off the teeth and he takes off the eyebrows. He pops back up. He's like, Hey guys, what's up? And he's Alan Arkin all of a sudden. And he doesn't remember doing the sketch. He doesn't remember being Mr. Hyde. He's ready for his opening number. And Kermit's like, no, you, you, you. Uh, Sorry about that, Alan. Uh, But uh, you, uh, you, you, you don't remember any of that? I remember it's time to do my number. Oh, oh, well, well, actually I had to cancel your number. Why? I I thought you liked that number, Kermit. Oh, it's not that exactly. It was... Don't explain. You're the boss. I guess it just wasn't good enough. Alan Arkin is so great on this episode. He really is. I love every time I see him on screen, whether he's Jekyll or Hyde. So Alan's very despondent because he doesn't know why he got his first number canceled, but his first number was canceled. Uh, so he goes back up to his dressing room and Kermit's turns to Bunsen and is like, well, at least he's not a monster anymore. And, and Bunsen's like, about that. Um, it comes and goes. <laughs> and then, then you hear more yelling from uh, from uh, the dressing room. And Alan comes out and he's got the fangs and he's got the eyebrows back again. And he's making his he's, he's more doing like a Frankenstein's monster type of impression half the time. Mm-hmm. But he comes out doing his grunts and his, his growls or whatever. And uh, he's he's on the he's he's back to being Mr. Hyde. Now, we talked about Song of the South and and, and everything and um why Zippity Doodah is a problematic song and all of those things. I'd like to say this next number as a white person, I felt attacked. <laughs> no comment. So Fozzie and uh, Rolf are singing. I got rhythm, which is a George and Ira Gershwin song from the musical girl crazy. But Fozzie has got no rhythm. 
And there's no way to describe this bit except to put it right here. I got rhythm. I got to I got rhythm. Uh, wait, wait, wait a second, Fuzzy. Hold on. Are you starting wrong? It goes like this. Let me show you. I got rhythm. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I got gotcha, gotcha. No. I got rhythm. I got No, no, no. Fozzy, Fozzy, hold on a second. Fozzy just cannot get on rhythm. And so Rolf has to change the words for him. <laughs> I don't got rhythm. Frank is really, really good at playing off key. Yeah. Like he's, yeah. he's done this with Fozzie specifically a couple of times, but it's always so satisfying to see him do it. Reminded me a little bit of the banana boat song where Fozzie just couldn't get on. <laughs> That's one of the best examples of that. The best part is his snapping of his, his Fozzie snapping his fingers just completely off the beat. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Like, that's really hard. You're right with Frank. That's really hard to do. If you're a human being that possesses any rhythm whatsoever, it's actually physically hard to do to be off rhythm like that. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. (laughs) But I felt attacked. (laughs) All right. So this next one's not very cool. It's got some funny stuff in it. But um, Mm. we get to pigs in space and the swine trek has developed a lilt. We'll say it's 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 tilted to one side. Specifically, it's tilted towards Piggy's side. And um, basically, Link and Hogthrob and Piggy are trying to figure out why the ship is tilted. And we discover it's because Miss Piggy is too heavy. And wherever she goes, the ship tilts towards her. I don't necessarily mind it when characters within the show make fun of Piggy's weight, as long as they get their comeuppance. I have a hard time when the show makes fun of her weight. Yeah. And this kind of does that. But when the show makes that value judgment on a character, as opposed to the characters doing that, it bothers me more, if that makes sense. It does, because it's it's a metadiegetic concern at that point. The universe is tending to say this. It makes it an, it makes it an objective fact as opposed to uh, a character's opinion. But, but what saves this number is that Piggy, Piggy figures out that if she jumps to one end of the ship and tilts it her way, that Link and Strange Pork are going to have to, will fall towards her so she can get her shots in. And then they run away from her and she jumps back to the, back to the end again (laughs) to tilt it back again so she can get at them and start karate chopping them. So I thought that was really funny, Hmm. but it's, it, 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 what it amounts to is like a two minute fat joke. And I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love it for that. I did love the UK spot. It's fun. We get to see the return of the devil. So uh, an angel and a, and a choir of other seraphs sing uh, You're No Good, which is written by Clint Ballard, but it's a, it was a big hint for Linda Ronstadt, who's one of my big crushes when I was a kid. And um, so I love this song. Feeling better now that we're through. Feeling better because I'm over you. Uh, she's singing this song called You're No Good. And then 
it turns out that the boy in it's a song where about a woman talking to her um ex to her ex um and saying that he you know he's he's no damn good it turns out that this angel's ex is the devil that we met earlier and that she misses him and that they sing the song together and that this i do believe is the plot of preacher Oh, it's a plot of all sorts of stuff. I'm pretty sure it's a plot of Little Nicky, or like the prequel to Little Nicky. I, I, I've been re- reading comics and fantasy enough to know that when an angel and a demon fall in love, bad things happen. Yeah. And I think that's the plot of the comic book preacher. <laughs> but a really fun number. Mm-hmm. Fozzie comes out to do his act. At first, Statler and Waldorf keep interrupting him. And he's like, you know what? Please just give me give me one joke. Just let me just let me do one joke. And Waldorf's like, I think he deserves a chance. And Statler's like, he doesn't. But let's let him have what let him do it anyway. And he tells a funny joke. What do you get when you cross the Atlantic with the Titanic? I don't know. What do you get when you cross the Atlantic with the Titanic? Halfway. It's not a bad joke. No, it's a solid, punchy one. Waldorf thinks it's funny, but Statler's very offended because he was on the Titanic. I love that they double down on that, though. <laughs> I was on that ship. Wasn't funny then, and it isn't funny now. <laughs> I gotta get a different line of work. Could be dry cleaning or something. Well, why'd you do that to poor Fozzie? Do what? I really was on the Titanic. I know. You still have the dress you wore so they'd let you in the lifeboat. (laughs) Which is something that really happened. Oh, it absolutely happened. Yeah, uh, this has all sorts of levels to it. (laughs) But uh, we're still, we're still, we're still dating. I mean, these guys are old, man. Well, I don't know. This is 1980. Yep. It's still old. It's still old. (laughs) It's still old. So, Bunsen is, God, he's like the worst scientist in the world, right? So, he's got this, I mean, he's great because he, he, he he come he does he did develop a, a serum that turns you into Mr. Hyde which is crazy so that's some kind of talent that he's got he's a dionysian scientist which is a terrifying idea so he shows up and he he he's backstage and he's got his um uh he's got the glass he's got another glass full of the Dr. Hyde syndrome i don't know what was a serum i don't know why he's got another glass full he's got another glass full and he's going to dispose of it like it's nuclear waste. He's like, I got to get rid of this. Now he says he's got to get rid of it, but he's got a straw in it. <laughs> I think he was feeling a little left out, but he gets called on stage from up at labs, which we don't end up seeing. He gets called on stage from up at labs and he leaves it sitting backstage. And Kermit comes in and goes, you know, that trick we've done before where I drink water on with the straw on screen and you guys try to figure out how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it again. And uh, Kermit downs the entire glass of uh, Dr. Hyde serum, thinking it's a nice, cool, refreshing glass of water. Now, you, now this is on Kermit. You just don't drink st- with everything that's going on tonight. You just don't come up and drink a strange liquid. I mean, you shouldn't do that in general, but it was the 70s. The Bun Bun brothers are are there and they, they're afraid of Alan. And they're, they're like, you got to protect us from this big, bad monster. And he's like, don't worry, I'll protect you. And then, of course, Kermit turns into Mr. Hyde and uh, goes after all the bunny rabbits. 
he wants to bet the money too hard. And then Alan comes down as himself. So in, in, in Dr. Jekyll mode, uh, in a tuxedo and, uh, Kermit just goes at him. <laughs> Kermit, Kermit bites him and, uh, uh, is growling at him, ends up wrestling him to the ground. And Kermit's now in full Mr. Hyde mode too. Now he's, he's got his, uh, his fangs. He doesn't really, he, he gets, he gets the tuft of hair, right? Yeah. I feel like he's just doing his best Vincent Price impersonation. So then uh, we cut to the stage and, and there's an old lady who I think it's just Jerry from Jerry and the Atrix hmm. is singing a song called let me go lover. And she's wrapped up by a snake, like this giant anaconda snake. And, and it's a really weird number, but then Kermit as Mr. Hyde comes on stage and kind of interrupts it and, and chases the old lady off the stage. It's a really weird moment. But then Kermit's able, able to kind of regain himself, uh, come back to his senses in, in his Dr. Jekyll mode. And Scooter assures him that uh, Alan is also in in a good headspace and that it's time for him to do his closing number for the finale. And everybody's in a good shape, in good shape. But they also say we should keep Piggy away from this. Yep. And why? Well, we'll find out. So with the mayhem as his backup, Alan comes out and sings a song called Pig Shuffle, which is written by Alan Orkin, but it's about the life of being a pig. If you live in a barnyard, the mother's a sound. If you sleep on manure, don't ask me how. If your eyes are quite tiny and your ears very big, you can be fairly certain what you are as a pig. Alan's got a better, like, I, I didn't, I'll say this, I had, just like with Linda Carter, when I did his, the Alan Arkin bio, I had no idea he had a background as a singer back in, like, the 50s and 60s. I had no idea. He does a good job, and he sings this song called Pig Shuffle, which is just about being a pig. Now, I'm not a pig. This is one long, it, you might be a redneck joke. <laughs> it really is just a Jeff Foxworthy joke. Does he say anything that's not true no. about pigs? It's not even necessary. I mean, I guess maybe you could say that tonally it's disparaging at times, but it's just kind of irreverent. It was really nice to see Kermit trying to restrain Miss Piggy from going on the stage throughout the number. Like, those side cuts were just awesome. And then Piggy eventually, of course, runs out on stage to give him a big whacking, uh, which she does with a big karate chop. But then he that turns him back into Dr. Jekyll. <laughs> that turns him back into Mr. Hyde, and that scares Piggy off the stage. I like the setup. I like the... It, if Piggy wasn't there getting frustrated, I don't think I would have cared about it one way or the other. No. But, yeah, it was fine. Hunch. You're no muskrat or beaver. No tomato or fig. There's no need to question. I'm going to tell you the truth of the situation. What you are, my friend. You might as well find out now what you are. What you are is a pig. Kermit comes out to say goodnight. Thanks everybody for being on the show. But then he's once and warns him that the Bun Bun brothers have got into the Jekyll and Hyde potion and um, uh, they rush the stage. Uh, and now the bunnies have the giant teeth and, and the bushy eyebrows and chaos, chaos reigns as they try to handle these uh, evil little bunnies. A couple of good ones tonight. Yeah, this was a really solid week. I loved both of these episodes. They both had a lot of really great moments. You really love Zippity Doodah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I feel so so conflicted about that. <laughs> I bet, I bet. Next time, the maladroit master of mangled mystification.
All right. So next episode. Ooh, that's interesting. We've got uh, episode 421 with with magician Doug Henning. And then episode 422 with singer Andy Williams. Yes. But uh, Doug Henning. I don't think I've ever seen that one. I've never heard of him. He's kind of like, he was on the, he was on par with like David Copperfield. Okay. That'll, that'll be fun. So, um, at lunatic daring, lunatic daring.com. Also, uh, you know, if you get a chance leave us a review on your podcast app of choice, we really appreciate it. Um, but, uh, until next time I'm Chad and I'm Nick and, uh, thank you for listening. Feet of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podolitz. And a proud production of Antithesis Audio. You think that Jekyll Hyde stuff is expensive? No, my wife has a whole glass of it every morning. Oh! <laughs>